0: Welcome to Rooftop Church. This podcast is part of our Sunday sermon series, where each week we dive into the Word of God and the powerful message of Christ. All right, we are in the book of 2 Peter. Uh, we have combined, uh, we have uh, started this series in the month of uh, February, so it's already been more than four months. Today, we are in 2 Peter chapter 1, and we are going to look into verses 1 through 4. So open up your Bibles and meet me in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. All right, and we shall read together. And this is the reading of God's Word. To those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours, by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied to you, in the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. For His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and excellence. Through these He has granted to us His precious and magnificent promises so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature." having escaped the corruption that is in the world on account of lust. Amen. Dear friends, would you bow your heads with me in prayer before we begin? God, we thank you, Lord. God, we celebrate you this afternoon. God, we praise your name today. God, we thank you for your provision for the past 15 months. God, we thank you that you are sovereign in all of our lives. And today we have gathered for the first time inside your house. God, may you impart to us special grace, special favor, Lord. So, God, the words that we read, we will not just understand with our heads, God. God, I pray that it would sip uh, uh, directly into our hearts, God. It will go directly into our hearts, God, providing life and life-giving guidance upon all of us, Lord. God, we thank you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so Apost- this is the second letter that Apostle Peter has written. Apostle Peter is at the very end of his life, and this letter was believed to have been written around year 67, 68, which this was the apex of the Roman Emperor, Emperor Nero's maniacal persecution of Christians all over the Roman world. Not only in the city of Rome, so all the provinces, all the regions that he had control over and the persecution of Christians were at the apex at that time. So right now, Peter's addressing particularly to the Christians residing in Asia minor, meaning modern-day uh, modern Turkey and Greece. And the last words of Peter are in the book of 1 Peter, the general theme in 1 Peter, is that, you know what, you're going to face persecution, you better stand up to the persecution that is come your, coming your way. And it clearly identifies that persecution for Christians is not going to be an exception, is not going to be deemed as a surprise to you, but expect that to happen. When the persecution comes, you do everything that you can and stand up under it. And that's his general charge in the first letter that he had written to these churches. The second Peter, the second letter that he wrote, the main theme of that letter is that know how to live out your faith in Jesus Christ. You know, what was going on at that time was that Peter was arrested, Peter is imprisoned, and Peter is about months, and some scholars say he was merely weeks away from facing his death. And you know that from a a historical context, and I think I convey this fact as well. Peter refused to die in the same manner that his Rabbi Jesus, which he has chosen to be hung upside down upside down on the cross. So Peter is himself is facing persecution. He himself is at risk of his own life, and he's writing this last letter and pleading to the christians scattered all throughout the regions all over europe and asia he's saying when i'm gone make sure that you live out your faith know how to live out your faith that is in jesus christ and seven times seven times i think he was few uh, uh, he was he may have been Uh, directly addressing that people are freaking out, people are panicking. They're saying, Peter, what do we do? He must have uh, heard a lot of these requests or a lot of panicked statements. To that, Peter says more than seven times in this letter, remember, remember. And in this chapter that we will see, Peter is basically encouraging them with a reminder that is very important in their Christian faith. The first reminder that Peter gives to them is that your faith is the same kind as mine. I'm going to read verse 1 for us again. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours. I think when we read the first uh, heading, nothing really unusual. He identifies himself as a bondservant, meaning I'm a slave. I am someone that has been set aside for the task of God. And Paul refers himself as bondservant as well, right? Peter says, I'm just a mere servant of the Lord. He not only says that he's ident- uh, he identifies himself as a servant, but he also says, I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ. Meaning, God himself has set me for a, specific, for a specific purpose that I'm about to be fulfilling in and through my life. He says, I'm a slave I'm a, uh, I'm a servant, and I'm a messenger. I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ. Generally, if you read through other apostles' letters, there's a break between that. And he says grace and peace to you. Generally, he identifies himself who he is, and then he goes on to saying general greetings. But here it's interesting. Well, at least I noticed it. He, he gives his identity, and then he goes to those who have received a faith of the same kind. Why does Peter say that? Why does he go out of his way to say, you know what, by the way, your faith and my faith are in the same thing. Your Christian faith, my Christian faith are essentially the same thing. It must have been, he, Peter must have been addressing to the inquiry or the problem that maybe some of the Christians felt like. Man, I can't live the way the apostles live. Maybe I have been given something that is inferior to what has been given to Apostle Paul, Apostle Peter, or upper-tier leaders of the Christian uh, Christian church. So Peter is identifying that. Peter is saying, you know what? Your faith is the same faith as the one that I've received. I think he's actually uh, directly implying that the life that you have been called to live as a follower of Jesus is essentially the same call that I have received from my Lord Jesus Christ. So first he says, we are of the same faith. Well, then we have to ask, ask the question, what is the, uh, what, is this, what is the basis of this faith? And Peter says, we are saved by faith in Jesus Christ. Christ. He phrases it this way directly, by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I love what he says after that. He says, those who have received of faith. Meaning, Peter, uh, uh, Peter declares that only way to salvation is by us having faith in Jesus Christ. Not by your works, not by your merit, not by your good way of living. All of these areas, all of these interpretations of faith are corrupt, that are false. And he, he reminds of this important truth that it's not really in anything that you and I have done or anything that you and I are doing, but it's not by any special way of living. In fact, there's nothing that we can do where we would in a lifetime be justified in the eyes of God. And he says, The faith that you have, we have received it as a gift from the Lord. The faith that you have is the same kind of faith as the one that I have as well. Meaning, we're not really saved by our own good works. We're saved only by our faith in Jesus Christ. Are you guys with me so far? And he lays that out. I believe that he's quite intentional in setting the premise so that he may deeper, uh, 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 deep, dig, uh, dig deeper into what he's about to say to us in verse 3. And he says, this gospel right here is not generated by you. It's not based on you. It's nothing that you have done. And he contends in verse 3, in fact, it's not even sustained by you. And this is where I want us to uh, spend majority of our time today. So I'm going to read for us verse 3. And you see it on your screen as well. Uh, seeing that his divine power has granted us everything pertaining to life and godliness. Hey, turn to your neighbor, and say everything. Nudge them, and say everything. Everything. Look, look them in the eye, and say everything. All right. Uh, don't, don't shake your wife. We don't condone violence here. Just kidding. All right. He says, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. So we have this gospel, right? So we have this good news that is in Jesus that's been given to us. And and the good news is that in this gospel, in this good news, God has granted us everything we need. If you're a follower of God, if you're a human being, that's good news for us. Every time you hear the word that everything you need is given to you, Man, that's a place to say amen. Amen? Peter says, through Christ, in the good news, in the gospel of Jesus Christ, we have been given everything. And he phrases this in twofold, but it's actually, I think, it's, it's trifle. This threefold promise here. First, he says, you have been given everything in life. And, and I want to say, I want to divide that to earthly life and eternal life as well. The first promise that we have through the good news is that, uh, the first of all, our problem of sin, our problem of et- our dealing with eternity has been solved. Why? Because our inability to reconcile ourselves onto God as a result of our fallenness. That impossibility of abridging the gap that exists because of our fallen nature and because of our sinful nature. Peter says, that problem that you have that in need of solution, that someone needing to come in and and address that problem for you, Peter says, well, that problem has been addressed. Christ is sufficient for you in addressing that problem. Jesus, what he has done on the cross, that work is enough, meaning that eternal problem of sin now has been solved. And Peter says, not only salvation But I believe what he's saying is that including the portion of sanctification as well. In this particular letter, Peter calls it godliness. But we know that Apostle Paul uses the term sanctification. Where both apostles are saying, not only are you saved from all of your sins, not only are your eternal destination have been decided because of your faith in Jesus Christ. They say, God says, you know what, I'm going to hook you up. Not on your are you saved, but you will spend the rest of your earthly life here on earth while going through the process of sanctification. Meaning, day by day, your life, your appearance, your heart will be transformed. God says, God will also supply that need as well. How many guys know that by the time you get into heaven, you will not look the same as you do now? Some of us, that's good news. Mm -hmm. You know I'm not talking about just outer appearance. I'm talking about your heart. Meaning by the time you see Jesus face to face, you will sound, you will appear differently. Isn't that good news? Apostle Peter says, Christ is has supplied the power and the necessary means that you properly go through this uh, 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 process of transformation. When we talk about transformation, when we talk about biblical transformation or biblical change, we're not talking about just a better version of yourself. We're not talking about enhancement. We're not talking about putting on you some IG filter. We're not talking about those you know what I'm into these days, TikTok. Shameless admission. I don't have an account but I've been watching a lot of YouTube, right? I, how many guys know, I mean, YouTube, you can just watch. I started out barbecuing, now I'm just fully immersed in the fitness videos. Now it's all about TikTok. TikTok has flooded YouTube. And you can't, why am I talking about TikTok? Oh yes, filters. TikTok is all about filters. It's about letting other people see the better version. You know what, if you ask me, that's really not you. You're just putting fake filters on it. The biblical transformation that is conveyed to us is that by the time you meet Jesus here on earth right now, and by this time you see Jesus as he will ascend to us for the second time, when we see Jesus face to face, we will have appeared in a completely different form. Your identity, the essence of who you are, The contents of your heart, the thoughts that you have in your mind, it will have taken a completely new form. That's good news. And Peter says, Christ has supplied the power for you so that you may take on the form of godliness. Come on, somebody. That's good news. And I told you this is actually three, uh, a, a trifold promise, right? And Let me go back to the phrase, everything in life. I believe that word life in, in the Greek, uh, zoe or zoe, right? That pertains to both eternal life as well as the earthly life as well. Mark my words now. Meaning, Jesus not only supplies uh, all the needs for your eternal life, not only does he supply all the power and ability for your godliness and your, the process of transformation, but he says he will also supply all of your needs for your earthly needs as well. Christ is sufficient for us. Meaning your faith in Jesus supplies you with all that you need in this earthly life. Meaning, your marriage as well. It's fully surrendered to the Lord, and Jesus will supply everything that is needed in your marriage. Jesus will supply all the ability, all the things that's needed, and for you to be successful in your work and your a business as well. Meaning, your school life as well. Jesus will supply your needs in your relationships as well meaning your battle with addiction, your particular habitual sin that you've been struggling for decades, years, months, Jesus says, I will be sufficient for you in that area as well. Church, friends, do you believe that everything you need in life, both earthly and eternally, has been supplied To you? Do you believe that? It's a fair question. Do you believe that everything that you need is found in the person of Jesus Christ? Meaning, if you properly place your faith in Jesus, you will go through the rest of your life not feeling, not having any lack of, in the life that you live. You know, I mentioned to you earlier that one of the struggles that the Christians had in Peter's time at the time of this uh, letter was a lot of false teachings have been given to the Christians. A lot of people have been uh, misled. A lot of people have been being swayed away from the Christian faith. And perhaps one of those statements, one of the ways that they were being swayed from their faith was that, yeah, God is good enough to save your soul. Yeah, God, God has decided through the redemptive work of Jesus Christ, yeah, you're going to go to heaven. You know what? But I'm quite, I, I, it's quite possible that the false teachings convey the notion, but what is God going to do for your life here on earth? Yeah, God has saved you from your sin, but your salvation from sin doesn't really affect your life here on earth. You're going to still suffer, and God is not going to take care of you here. God has only solved the problem of you spending eternity in heaven, but you may easily spend life here on earth as living hell. And that may have been one of the lies that Peter is trying to refute. Peter is saying, vehemently arguing that everything you need in life, everything you need in life, everything, Christ has supplied it. For you And I believe that this truth is very important, and this truth is conveyed all throughout scriptures. Let me just give two examples here, okay? Apostle Paul says the same thing. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8, this is what Paul says, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. I mean, how many times do the words abundant, sufficient appear in that text? Paul says, everything you need, God has supplied for you. In every circumstance, God has supplied that for you. In Numbers chapter 11, verse 23, what about the Old Testament? And this is what God is telling Moses, all right? And the Lord said to Moses, is the Lord's hand shortened? Now you shall see whether my word will come true for you or not. And, and God is saying, or this passage is saying, is God's arm too short that he's not able to save you? Is God's power limited in a way that he can't save you? He can't help you in this? In fact, the same words are echoed in the book of Isaiah, chapter 59. It says, is the Lord's arm too short? In other words, both Moses and, and, and Isaiah, it, it, he's, they're saying, is, is God's arms too short? Is God like T-Rex? Is, is, is God like this giant uh, monster that, has, that possesses all the power? He's this ferocious creation, but, but his arms are like short. Is it limited in any ways? Certainly not. And that's a rhetorical question that the, the, the writers of the passage are saying. God's arms are long enough to meet you where you are at. God knows exactly where you are right now. God knows every single need. God is aware and cognizant of every prayer that you haven't even prayed yet. God is able to identify, look into your life, and identify even before the suffering comes. He's aware of that. And the scriptures tell us God will supply all that we need. In fact, God himself is our satisfaction. And it says, through the knowledge. Where is this power coming from? And it says that in the second part of verse 3. Through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. That word knowledge is important. In the Greek, it's epignosis. It's not just knowledge. It's not just understanding here. He's not just conveying uh, head knowledge here, he's talking about the, 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 that word in this text is experiential knowledge, testimonial knowledge. It's not just information. It's also just not understanding of that information. Y- you guys know the difference, right? You understand that, the, well, uh, information is a set of principles, and when you, under, you understand that facts, but understanding is that, well, I understand how that information applies to me, Right? But that in itself could be also conceptual. The knowledge that the Bible is conveying to us in the way that we ought to know Jesus Christ is not just head knowledge. It's not just understanding. He says you must experience that for yourself. There's a vastly big difference between knowing somebody and knowing something about that person. Are you with me? I know Johnny. Johnny's right here, guys. If you, you, can't, you obviously can't see, but Johnny's here. I know Johnny. I, I don't know him too well, but I think I know a lot of things about him. But to, for me to say I know Johnny in the way that Irene knows Johnny, man, that's a, that's a blasphemy. And I'm not sure if I want to know him in the way that Irene knows him. You know what I'm saying? Why? The knowledge, when I say I know Johnny, and his wife, Irene says... Mm, I know Johnny. I don't know why I gave that look, but you know what I'm talking about. When it says, I know Johnny, I know my husband, it's a special knowledge that says intimacy as a result of not only seeing every day, not only encountering, but there's a deeper element to that where I have no access to, nor do I want that access. I don't want to know Johnny in that intimate way. Peter is saying how do we experience that? How do we understand the sufficiency of Christ? He says, through the knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and excellence. Where can this knowledge be found? You know, if you read through Romans chapter 10, Apostle Paul conveys these words. Paul is addressing to his audience a bunch of Greek philosophers uh, people were really into, like, head knowledge back then. Like, Greeks were flexing because they're like, you know, it's about, life is about knowing more. So they thought themselves as great thinkers, so serious all the time, debating all the time. Yeah, I'm a philosopher. Yeah. Look at my big head. Right? That was a big deal. So Paul was addressing that crowd who was appealing to the, the understanding, this cognitive experience of understanding God. He says this. You don't have to ascend to heaven to find the greater knowledge. Paul says why? Because he has descended to us. He says you don't have to go to the depth of abyss or to the depth of the seas because Christ himself has risen for us. Paul says that knowledge has already been revealed to us in the person of Jesus Christ. He himself is the embodiment of all that you need to know. You know what he's saying? He's talking about the sufficiency of Christ. When you understand what Christ has done for you, when you understand the kind of life that he has called you to live, when you understand the protection and the provision that he allows for you to experience, Jesus Christ is enough for you. That means even if your life circumstances do not change. You know, the, some of the observations that I make, I, I recently had a talk with this, about this with Pastor Tabis. And one of the things that weary me, that that bogged me down is that I see so many people, so many Christians waiting for things to change in their lives, for their faith to increase. Waiting for their arrangements of life to improve or get better. And they realize, man, that my faith will grow, that my dependence and my trust in God will increase. I just need to get through this season. I just need to close this chapter of my life. I just need this particular problem to be resolved, and everything is going to be better. Too many Christians these days confuse sufficiency of Christ with provision of, or requests on our part. That is not the sufficiency that the Bible is conveying to us. Sufficiency of Christ is not God's. how God is Uh, able to answer all of our requests sufficiency of uh, sufficiency of christ does not equate the number of frequencies of answered prayers as well sufficiency of christ means that even nothing in your life changes what if your life never again took a turn for the better what if your work life never got better What if that particular annoyance in your life, that person that is dedicated to be the thorn on your side, never goes away? In fact, he's moving or she's moving closer and closer to your life. What if that arrangement never changed? Is Jesus Christ still sufficient for you? That is an immensely different question that we have to ponder. So when we talk about sufficiency of Christ, it is beyond circumstances. It is beyond just your life being better or your life being made easier or your burdens being lifted. Sufficiency of Christ, as Paul says, right? In my weakness, in my weakness, Christ's strength is made perfect in me that's a dude that has gone through you know how many shipwrecks he spent the night and day meaning he was like unconscious he was knocked out unconscious for a day he was flogged five times 40 minus one lashes we're not talking about whips we're talking about those whips with glass chunks metal pieces in the back every time they you flogged pieces of skin on your back are ripped out. He received that. Jesus received that what? Once, right? And he went to the cross. Paul received that not once, not twice, not three times, not four, five times. And one time, the persecution was so heavy, he was literally beaten with rods, almost to a pulp, almost died, and he survived that. And it says, very next chapter his strength is made perfect in my weaknesses what Christ has to offer to me is sufficient the person that Christ is in my life he's more than enough church do you believe these words have you experienced the sufficiency of Christ in your life? And I'm close with one more story. So praise team, PTAV, you can get ready anytime. And this is one last story. Can I tell this story? I have to remember to look at the camera once in a while as well. I forget so easily. Many years ago, I had to see a church member go to prison. Up until that time, <laughs> you know, being a pastor, you see a lot of things. Being a pastor, I, I really had the privilege of leading people through different seasons, different paths, in many different ways. And I've gone to jail a couple times to visit members, not, not <laughs> clarify, <laughs> context, context. But this one was different. This one was more severe than anything that I had encountered in the past. Uh, he came to me in his mid-20s. And by the time he came to my ministry, you know, he committed his life to the Lord. You know, he, he found community in, my minist- in our church. He, he was committed to the church. He was attending services, small groups, and he was getting involved and also serving uh, the church ministry as well. And he was really having a, a great time growing in the Lord, but he had a troubled past, and this one particular incident had led him to receive, uh, I think, two plus year term in a state prison. You know, I had never seen uh, such place, and I, I, I don't remember it was somewhere in Santa Ana. I remember uh, it was a tall building. It was a, a bunch of courtrooms, and it was a day that he was receiving a sentence. So he had called me earlier that week, and so I went out. You know, his family members were there. A few of his friends were there, and I happened to be one of them. We're just waiting in the lobby. We're just praying, God, please let everything go well. Protect him. May the sentence not be too heavy. God, protect him. Let your favor fill that room. We're just anxiously waiting for him to come out shortly after he came out and let us know that that he had received I think was some like 26 or 28 months of sentence and we were so grieved we were so heartbroken and his mom was just uh, you know one of those things that you would see on TV almost fainted almost collapsed and just started wailing in the hallways of this courthouse and I don't know about you anytime you hear Someone crying, a mother crying over the welfare of their children. It is heartbreaking. She's crying. We're saddened. And and I don't know the police officer or the man in suits. I don't I don't remember, but they, they were trying to take him away. And I really felt at that moment I need to tell him something. I need to make sure that he's he knows that he's not alone. I needed to. I don't know somehow convey that as if seeing a bunch of his friends in that lobby wasn't enough. I really wanted to. I really felt like I need to tell him that God is with him. So I yelled out his name. I grabbed him. I walked closer to him. I grabbed, and some people kind of followed me closer to him. And I decided to recite a Psalm of David, Psalm 23. I got close to him. And I began to talk. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. And he guides me in the paths of righteousness. Even though I shall walk through the shadow of valley of death, I shall fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod, your staff, they comfort me. He prepares for me a banqueting table in the presence of my enemies. And he has anointed my head with oil. Surely, goodness and loving kindness shall never depart me. And I will dwell in the house of my God Forever. And I looked to him. I said, Do you know that? Do you know that? Don't ever forget. And he looked to me, turned around. He didn't say much, but he looked at me, big grin. Yeah, I know. He's with me. And he walked the hallways. And it would take years for me to literally see him again. I remember that. Never forget that moment. Maybe you are in such season. Maybe you're in such place where you feel like you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death. Or shadow of valley of death. Perhaps you are unsure how you will, if ever, be brought out of your current troubles. Maybe you have lost all hope that the glimmer of hope has dwindled already. You've been praying for a long time for a breakthrough. You've been seeking God for a long time. You've asked and asked and no, you've begged practically for God to come through, intervene and resolve. You've pleaded with God but no answer. May He meet you where you are today. Friends, I don't come to you boasting of answers and resolutions to your current troubles. I could only come to you promising you the faithfulness of the presence of your Lord Jesus Christ, of my Master, of my Savior, Jesus Christ. That is the only thing that we have the assurance of. Even if our circumstances do not change, I pray that you and I experience fully the sufficiency of Christ today. And surely that Jesus is enough. Church, would you bow your heads with me? Let's pray. Christ you are enough Jesus we want to experience you Jesus we want to learn the meaning of dependence upon you God, we want to experience what it is like to have joy in the midst of great despair. We want to understand faith prevailing all circumstances. God, grant to us the gift, the intimate knowledge of knowing you. We seek to experience you, God. So Holy Spirit, we invite you to come into our lives. Intervene. Get involved so that we will see your handprints, your footprints all over. And God, convey your heart to your beloved children today. We pray these things in Jesus' name.